Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Chive, the official Let's Go Chive podcast. As always, with your host, me, Matt Lyons, and Jason Lucart. Jason, how are you doing? I'm doing well. You know, when we talked a week ago, we were uh, coming off the frustrating White Sox series. But since then, uh, uh, four or five, leading tonight, looking like five to six. Uh, even as pessimistic as I am, I'm uh, fully confident the Indians are going to win the division. So I'm feeling good. Yeah, I feel bad right now. It looks like the Indians are about to sweep the Royals, and I'm not going to be on to post the Golden Girls gif. That's how dedicated I am to this podcast, Jason. I should be posting the Golden Girls gif right now. <laughs> well, I guess in a few have, minutes, technically. You should have had other Matt, like, on, <laughs> on duty for that. Not just anybody can post the Golden Girls well, sweep gif, Jason. You've got to be off the ranks to be allowed to do that. So, But yeah, Indians have been really good lately. Um, despite some really bad injuries and some really bad hot takes, the Indians have been pretty good. Despite um, <laughs> their postseason dreams being officially dead. As well, that's a shame, but I mean, there's, there's no chance they can do anything in the postseason now, obviously, but they can have fun. Right. These last there's all the more reason weeks. to take these last few regular games seriously, because then the season ends after next Sunday. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that in a little bit. Obviously, Paul Hoynes, uh, I'm, I don't know, we'll talk about it later, but he's allowed to say things, but that was just a dumb way to say it. <laughs> but either way, the games that we did get to watch, uh, 2-1 and one against the Tigers, maybe 3-0 and oh against the Royals. I think they're in the ninth right now, so probably 3-0 and oh against the Royals. On the good side of things, not even counting tonight, uh, Carlos Santana had 10 hits, 2 doubles, 2 home runs. Obviously, had another home run tonight. Uh, Jose Ramirez, 8 hits, 3 doubles. All three of those doubles coming last night on a really good game. And Jason Kipnis, 7 hits, 4 doubles. Although I just saw... Tonight he got hit in the hand, but I, I do think he went to first base, so hopefully he's okay. I'm sick of people getting hit in the hand. Uh, on the bad side of things, Mike Napoli, 4 for 22 with 12 strikeouts, only one home run. And Lindor, uh, we'll talk about him a little bit later too, but he was 1 for 23. Um, he definitely looks a little bit tired, and I think even Terry Francona said it. He probably needs a break. So uh, what stuck out to you in these last few games? Um, well, Carlos Santana, uh, who is now tied with Napoli at 34 home runs apiece. Uh, Santana's been really good now the last week. He's been really good the last month. Uh, I've got his his last, the whole team's last month numbers in front of me on fan graphs right now. And this is not even including tonight when he's uh, two for three with a double a home run and a walk. So even before that, uh, last 30 days, 278 batting average, 423 on base, 515 slugging. Uh, his weighted runs created plus, which is sort of my go-to offensive metric uh, for that time is 154, which is fantastic. Um, so he's been looking really good lately. Uh, on the flip side, I'm a little worried about Lindor and Naquin, the two you know sort of young regulars on the team. Um, they've both looked not great. You know, Lindor like you know, a lot of talk about him looking tired. Naquin doesn't seem tired to me so much as uh, pitchers have adjusted to him, and he hasn't been able to sort of adjust to those adjustments. And maybe he's tired too. I don't know. Um, so, you know, there's, there's guys playing a lot better lately. Uh, the catching position has not been a black hole for the last month after being such a disaster for the first four months. Um, on the whole, the offense, you know, I think still looks about like it has all season, which is pretty good. Um, and then on the pitching side, you know, the, the injuries keep sort of piling up. But then, you know... Josh Tomlin and Mike Clevenger have both sort of responded by pitching better in the last you know week or so than they had for you know a, a few weeks before that. So yeah, they, the the team's in really good shape, I think, given the injuries. Yeah, the big thing I wanted to bring up was like you just mentioned, Clevenger. 
tonight he was really good. Last start he was pretty good. I think he can almost be like the pitching equivalent of Naquin, where he probably wasn't going to be a starter, but just a, a bunch of bad circumstances shoved him in there, and now he's taking full advantage of it because he looked great. He's probably going to be a starter in the playoffs, either him or Tomlin. Um, the other thing was I can't believe you missed out on a way to praise Carlos Santana, but <laughs> his defense at first has been really good too. While well, he's been playing a lot for to let Mike Napoli rest, and that's been really nice. So. Yeah, Carlos Santana, just all around really good. And I think I saw that Jordan Bassett tweeted that Napoli and Santana are the first pair of Indians teammates since 2001 to each have 34 home runs, which is amazing because the Royals <laughs> Royals Review also tweeted that no Royals have reached that mark in, what was it, a, a long time, if at all. I don't remember what they said exactly. But, but yeah, the Indians, they have a lot of power right now. It's fun to watch. It's something we haven't got to watch in a long time. And even if it's slumping a little bit right now, it's still a ton of fun to watch. Um, obviously neither of us mentioned Corey Kluber right away because he's Corey Kluber and he's really good. He had his one bad inning that he's going to have no matter what. If we can get that out of, out of him at every start in the playoffs, I'll be more than happy with that. Um, yeah, it was just all around. So the game is official now. So they're five and one in the last two series. You can't be bad at that. Hooray! Um, yay! They did eliminate the Royals yesterday from the AL Central race. They've got to be close to being out of the wild card race at this point, I would think. Um, yeah, and like you said, yeah. mathematically they're not out of it, but realistically yeah. <laughs> they're done. And like you said, with Naquin and Lindor, we can just get right into that. It's the two young players that are really struggling right now. I, um, like you said, also Lindor's looks like he's tired. Naquin, I'm more worried about Naquin than Lindor. I think Lindor is he's just tired. If he rests a little bit, maybe he'll be fine. But Naquin, it's just the rest of the league adjusting to him. They were slow to do it, even when it was really obvious what to do against him. But now there's just so many high fastballs that he cannot hit. He's got to really adjust to that a lot better. Um, and the, the kind of pitches you're going to see in the playoffs are really going to hurt him. So do you think the Indians should just straight up rest Lindor once they clinch? Do you think they will or they should? Or should they just let him? I can't imagine working through it's a good idea. But they do have three days off at the end of the season leading into the LDS. So maybe just give him, let him keep playing and then give those days off? Or do you want to see him sit a couple days coming up here at the end? Um... I'd like them to give him like consecutive days off, maybe even this weekend. Um, and then, you know, bring him back to play, you know, all, all the games next week. And then he'll get another, you know, like you said, like three days off, four days off. Maybe I can't remember if ALDS is Thursday or Friday. Um, so I don't think they should wait because I don't, I mean, I, I, he could use a break now. Um, and I think it makes sense to then kind of get him back into some sort of playing rhythm before the end of the season. I don't think you want to sit him for like the last series of the, the season and then have him not play for like basically a week. But I'd like to see him get consecutive days off, like give him, you know, Friday and Saturday off or give him Saturday and Sunday off. Um, and then, you know, have him back for the last week. Um, maybe give him one more game off. Uh, he'll surely get the whatever the Indians clinch the division, most of the regulars will, you know, will, will won't start the next game. That's just sort of a tradition. Um, but yeah, I'd like him to see a couple games off in a row, then maybe one more game off later in the next week. Um, and, I, you know, all of the guys should get, I think, a couple games off. The, you know, the tricky thing, I guess, is the division's wrapped up. Uh, the Indians could are totally, totally plausible that they could finish with the best record, totally plausible that they could finish with the second best record, which is where they're at right now totally plausible that it could be third best. And there's legitimate big differences between that. So I don't think you want to just completely have the team coasting, um, but they're going to be in the ALDS. And I think it makes sense for all the regulars to get a couple days off uh, at some point. And Lindor is the one who I think should get a couple back-to-back. 
Yeah, I think for everybody, those three days that they have between the last game of the season and LDS is going to be pretty big because their last off day was Monday. So it's not a huge stretch, but I mean, in the last month altogether, they've had like one off day, I think. The, the one that I thought was the last one, but it wasn't. But yeah, they're going to need it. Oh, they're going to be tired. And I feel like those three days at the end of the season, I mean, that, that Monday will probably be totally a day off. Mm-hmm. Um, but after that, they won't, I mean, you know, they won't be playing a baseball game. But there'll start to be other obligations and things like that. I feel like a day during the regular season when the team is playing, but they just don't have to do anything is more of like a real day off than, uh, you know, you're going to do a bunch of postseason interviews all day and that sort of stuff. Um, It's just sort of a different kind of day off. I feel like it's easier for them to really, you know, watch their teammates play, goof around, that sort of stuff, not have to do a bunch of pressers and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, it's just at least that one day and then two days of not running around hitting a baseball and being tired all the day. But it's not going to matter because their postseason hopes are dead. Oh, there's no chance. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, if nobody saw, it was like our biggest post in a while, I guess, that you made a post about it. And uh, Paul Hoynes wrote a really bad article that the Indians' season is done because Carlos Carrasco was injured. That they have no chance in the postseason. Their season, I think his exact quote was, this is the day the season Indians di- the Indian season died and... Wow. <laughs> it's not even the fact that he's a beat writer writing a column, which is what a bunch of people said. I mean, he can do that. You just can't do it like that. When we write stuff like that, I mean, we're not, I'm not saying like we're the best ever, but you have to kind of do it like you're, I don't know, almost like a fan. You're just saying it's kind of unfortunate, but they might have less of a chance now. Not the season's dead. It's over. <laughs> That's maybe the kind of blunt thing it kind of got away with like 20 years ago when it's not a bunch of people looking at it, it's just in a paper. And But I don't think today you can do stuff like that and not expect people to get really pissed off about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I was like, I do think there is something to the beat writer angle of it. Um, you know, traditionally for a newspaper, which is what he works for, you know, you've got beat writers and columnists, and columnists don't really interact with the players all that much and just kind of, you know, sit on their perch and you know, opine on whatever they happen to think. And some of that's going to be good and some of that's going to be stupid. Uh, And, you know, beat writers are sort of more responsible for reporting facts and getting quotes and that sort of stuff. I don't think that means Hoynes isn't allowed or shouldn't be allowed to give his opinions on stuff. I mean, obviously, but, I mean, he walked into this. And uh, I don't think the, the blowback in the locker room or for his, you know, work environment will will actually last that long. I mean, the players whether they like him or not, you know, I don't think are going to be complete jerks to about <laughs> forever. They're um, definitely upset now. But I do think, that. what's that? I said they're definitely upset now, though, that's for sure. Yeah, no, they are. But I mean, I feel like I, I said the other day, at some point, if they're like giving him the cold shoulder, I feel like management's going to step in and be like, listen, guys, we don't, we know you don't like him, but just answer the questions. Um, but I do think they're, you know, like his job is partially dependent on his ability to interact with the players. Like he's not an analyst. He doesn't have the skill set for that. So, I mean, he can give an opinion the way, same way anyone can give an opinion. Um, but I, I feel like his value is contacts he might have that would give him scoops. I mean, he's, you know, he's passing stuff along and I, I, I he's not the Indians best beat writer. He's not the Indians second best beat writer. <laughs> and he's not one of the Indians 20 best analysts in terms of people, you know, following the team. So uh, I don't really think he had anything to gain by writing something like that. And then it is just the way he worded it. If he had said, you know, this is a, 
this really hurts the team's chances of winning the postseason. You know, the Indians need to be, you know, should be considered a long shot at this point. Even something like that. But just to say it's over, even if he was a columnist, would just anyone who's paid real attention to baseball, you just have to roll your eyes because it's stupid. Like any team that's in the league division series has a chance to win the world series. And none of them have a fantastic chance. The Cubs are the best team in baseball right now. And really that buys them like a 30% chance of winning the world series. So you could say, Oh gosh, you know, the, the, the Cubs lost the game last week. Their postseason chances are done. <laughs> and if all this is dependent on you get to say you're right if they don't win the World Series, you're probably going to be right. So, I mean, like he doesn't get any credit for being right. He was wrong the second he said it because he said they have no chance, which is stupid and preposterous and and false. Um, so the way he wrote it was dumb. Uh, I don't know why he felt the need to write anything, even if he hadn't worded it stupidly. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I have, I have no desire to, to come to his defense about this at all. Not that he's asking me to or anything. Yeah, it, it was, it was stupid. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's the big thing. No matter what he said, he had to say it. it was just stupid the way he did it. Um, and I listened to the A to Z podcast. I don't know if you ever listened to that, but one of the hosts is Andre Knott, who's an on-field reporter and he was a lot of really neat candid stories about what it's like in the Indians locker room and all that. And Jason Kipnis, we know from the outside that he's like, he messes with people, but he really messes with Paul Hoynes. If you remember, what was it, like a month ago when Hoynes said that Jason left because he was sick and then Jason tweeted him and said, no, I'm not. Do you remember that at all? Yes. There's a big thing made about that. Jason was actually sick. <laughs> he was just messing with Paul Hoynes and he actually got called into Francona's office. And like you said, the exact thing you you said that they should say is he said, I know you don't like Paul Hoynes, but you have to give him a fair shot. Well, it's not that he doesn't like him, but he just messes with him. But he said you can't do that to Paul Hoynes in public like that. But everybody was apparently pissed about the article he wrote. Obviously, Bauer and Kipnis were, but Francona was too. And to me, said, though, nobody was happy. Mean, like, you know, Paul Hoynes' misstep, I think, is, is, I think that's accurate. But it's not really the story to me because ultimately I don't care about Paul Hoynes. Um, yeah. I care about the Indians. And to me, the interesting thing about it was – it didn't feel to me like this was a everything is fine and then suddenly Paul Hoynes wrote this and now everyone's angry at Paul Hoynes. This to me felt very much like Trevor Bauer and at least a significant handful of other Indians players uh, have had a problem with Paul Hoynes for one reason or another for a while. And this was just sort of, you know, the, the, the tipping point or the straw that broke the camel's back or whatever analogy you want to use um it did it, it didn't feel like a one day incident to me oh definitely yeah and, and the fact that he had an off day right afterwards was not good timing <laughs> i don't right. think i'm sure he just did um because it was scheduled but yeah i mean i don't think he was actually dodging the team at all right. i completely believe it was a scheduled day off and i completely believe he was within his rights to take the day off that he had scheduled and all of that um but yeah i, I to me it feels pretty clear that a large contingent of Indians players and maybe, you know, other personnel uh, aren't really fond of Hoynes. And so, I don't know. I mean, he, he sort of made that bed for himself, not just Saturday, but, you know, probably for weeks, months, and in some cases, maybe years. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. I mean, people are saying he should be fired. I don't care if he's fired or not. I don't. Oh, he's not going to be fired. No. I don't get That's my dumb. Indians anything from Paul Hoynes. Uh, <laughs> you know, I follow him on Twitter and he, tweets the stuff I would expect a beat writer to tweet in terms of like updates and news. And there's some value in getting that, but I get the exact same information from a couple other people I follow 
um, and a couple other people I follow, I will sometimes also get interesting analysis from. And, you know, for me, Paul Hoynes doesn't provide anything I can't get myself or get from a couple other people. Um, I feel like the job is to some extent passed him by. Um, and I say all this and, you know, feel like, gosh, if Paul Hoynes was listening, I'd feel really bad that I'm being <laughs> a mean to him, which is not my intent. But I, I don't know. He he doesn't he doesn't provide me with any value. And I know there are other people he does provide value for, um, but I'm not one of them. So. And I think that is worth breaking up that he does. There is some people that still like the old. I don't want to say old. I guess I could say old school of just the. The old school kind of analysis and all that stuff. Like the kind of people on our Facebook comments that would freak out about seeing WRC plus <laughs> in a title. Um, and I mean, as far as like backlash, I could, I could have saw that coming. If we, whenever we post anything that's even mildly like this guy might not be good on the Indians. It's immediately on Facebook. Like I thought you like this team. Why are you doing this? So I can't imagine what he got like constantly, but I think there is still space for people like Paul for now. <laughs> and I say for now, because I don't think it's going to be forever. It's like people are, oh, I can't say our age because you're like 90 years old, but <laughs> people a little Paul bit younger. Paul and I went younger. to high school together, as a matter of fact. They what? You, Paul, you Paul and I went to high school together. <laughs> he was a freshman, you were a senior. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like the younger generation, they're not going to, it's, I don't know. The younger I mean, generation likes more analysis than when. I feel like it's shifting. They start to get older. It's not like everyone in their 20s or 30s cares or understands or buys into the newer stuff. I mean, more the, the younger you look at, the more there are who are into that sort of stuff. But I think because it's sort of like a self-fulfilling prophecy, you know, there, there's an audience for that. So people who do things the way Paul Hoynes does them continue to have a, a, a job, a job that gives him a massive audience. So to people who aren't super into thing, he's still, you know, in some cases, the primary voice they're learning about the Indians from. So they're learning it through his perspective and then kind of without even thinking about it, they're absorbing his perspective. And so then as they get older, they're still going to want that perspective. So someone else is going to get Paul Hoyne's job. I mean, again, I think over time it gets it, it shifts, but it's slowly. Um, and, you know, the same thing with like Hall of Fame voting, I think. If Barry Bonds landed on the ballot 10 years from now, he'd coast in on the first vote because I think 10 years from now, you know, there'll be enough distance from some of the steroid stuff and there'll be enough people who have a ballot who just don't feel like that's a reason not to vote for someone. He won't be on the ballot in 10 years and he's going to have to get into the Hall of Fame some other way. I think stuff shifts, but stuff shifts super, super slowly. It does. Um, it does. So, I mean, I think Paul Holmes probably has that job as long as he wants it. Uh, but again, I don't really care because the Cleveland Plain Dealer it just it isn't my source for Indian stuff. <laughs> I, I do. Just, I don't think anybody under thirty gets their Indian. I would hope nobody under thirty gets their Indian's perspective of Paul Hoynes, do they? And the people that make it, that are dedicated far enough to actually write about the Indians and get into positions to write, I think anymore it's the kind of writers that do care about those kind of advanced stats. Maybe I'm just. Maybe it's just. I don't know, confirmation bias, no, but it seems like no, I, younger people yeah, who are into writing are like, like the statistical writing. And there's a substantial difference between someone who's going into that field now and someone who went into that field, yeah. you know, even 15 years ago. Um, but That's where I think the change Paul is going to come from. Paul Hoyne's job, there's not like 50 of those jobs, not for the Indians. I mean, for the Indians, when you really look at a beat writer at that level, there's like three of them. So even though there's a lot of guys who'd like to get a job like that, they're not going to get jobs with that sort of audience. Not for a long time. It's going to be, in most cases, I mean, Jordan Bastian is fairly young for his job. And to me, he's the best Indian speed writer because 
you know, he understands changes in the game, you know, that more recent than 30 years ago. Uh, well, is there any beat writer that is younger that isn't like in that group of like Bastion and Zach Mizell and like all those that aren't into the more statistics? I don't think there's any beat writer besides Hoynes, is there? Unless like a little but tiny piece of somewhere. But, so, I mean, I mean right. that's what I mean. But like, any of these guys that take his job, they're going to have that perspective now with his audience. I can't imagine somebody that's basically a clone of Hoynes getting his job when he wants to retire. It's going to be somebody like Mizell or I think, who was it? What is his name? I don't know his name. Hayden Group. I mean, at this point, oh, I lose track of who all of, of those guys is even with what outfit. And I, I have no idea what the Cleveland Plain Dealers, you know, hiring practice would be. I mean, they might view, gosh, Paul Hoynes was popular for us, so let's try to find someone. Some, I, you know, I have no idea. Yeah. Um, for people who are interested in stuff, the beat writers, it doesn't, I mean, you don't need to be working for the Plain Dealer to get your stuff out there. And so I can read stuff from smaller outlets. Um but the plane dealer will continue to be a major source of just kind of, you know, sports news for casual fans. Yep. Or, you and, know, and Cleveland.com, which, you know, is just a plane dealer's website. Yep. And Hoyne's writing this terrible article got everyone to talk about it. So maybe he won. I don't know. <laughs> maybe he tricked us all and knew it would be a big backlash. Well, what I'll be really interested to see is if the Indians don't win the World Series, which they probably won't. They you better probably, not tweet out like I told you so. Carlos Carrasco and Danny Salazar were at 100%. If they don't, I'll be interested to see how Hoynes handles it. Because, I mean, I think the assumption is he's going to brag about, like, see, I was right, told you so. And he might. Oh, I don't um, think he'll do that. I think he understands the backlash and why he got it and why it was kind of stupid at this point, doesn't he? I'd be surprised if he brags about that. I don't that. know. I mean... On Sunday, he was saying, I wrote what I wrote because I believe it. I mean, he w- he wasn't backing off. Right. I and mean, I wouldn't expect him to, but I wouldn't think in a month he's going to, unless he just wants the backlash. If he does it then, that's just for the attention, just to remind people, look at this thing I wrote and I was right about. Well, but I I mean, even if he doesn't say, look at this thing I wrote. I mean, if you write something, you know, without even referencing what he wrote earlier, if he writes, uh, you know, the Indians never really had a chance after these injuries. Um I don't know. I, I just feel like there's that's one way he could go with it. Um, I also think he could do sort of an about face, and you know, sort of even if they've lost, to sort of backpedal from the way he presented it at yeah. the time. Uh, if he links it in an article, it's gonna be interesting to see. If he links it in an article, I can't blame him. I've done that <laughs> when I was like right about something that was controversial at the time, and then later on I was right. He's like, remember this thing? Like it just so happened. I have two, but I'm <laughs> I'm a nobody. And so right, like, and we're not writing I, for the like planes dealer. Someone who has his status, I don't know. I, I feel like the more success you have, the less reason you have to like point out your successes. Right, and we're also doing it kind of as a joke too. And I don't think Hoynes is going to do it as a joke because right. <laughs> part of our thing is just being entertaining to write stuff. So that's enough about Paul. <laughs> Let's move on to um, more important things: Indians' odds of clinching. So right now, uh, according to the Fangraphs. They got, they got a pretty good chance at uh, winning the division. Ninety nine point five percent, a hundred percent, just to make the world or just to make the playoffs, and ten point three percent to win the World Series. After tonight, their magic number is down to four. I can't remember whose jersey I picked for the picture, but I'll have one up tomorrow. I cannot remember. Anyway, there's a number four. Magic number is four. Um, the Tigers played one game today. I don't know if they played the second already, so it might go down again before tonight's over. If not, uh, go down again tomorrow. Probably at the very least after this White Sox series when the Tigers and Indians play again. The Tigers are going to be eliminated <laughs> if they're not already by that point. And like we yeah, said I mean, a while ago, like, clinching them would be great. Clinching and knocking the Tigers out at the same time. I think the most likely outcome is that the Indians 
haven't clinched when they face the Tigers, but they will only need to beat the Tigers once to clinch. And that, that's what I would, ex- would expect. Right. And uh, that was just amazing. With the magic number being four at the end of the weekend. <laughs> How great would a first game elimination be and then a sweep? <laughs> Very great. That's my dream. That's what I want. <laughs> and then uh, they knocked out the Royals, so the Indians are just taking everybody down by one. One by one. Or the Royals can still make the wild card, but they're not going to. They're not going to win the division because of the Indians. No, the Royals aren't going anywhere. The Royals are two games above 500. They're not making the postseason. Nope. So how much do we want to talk about this White Sox series? I mean, the Indians have played them 700 times this season. We haven't brought up um, Jake LaRoche in a while. He's not there. <laughs> Their heart and soul is gone. I don't know. I'm so sick of talking about the White Sox. Anything special with this preview for you? Nope, I I got nothing for it. It's the last home season, home series of the regular season. Uh, it would be nice if the Indians could draw more than fifteen thousand fans a game. Uh, I know the you know the attendance the last two games I think was thirteen and change. I think tonight I saw someone post fifteen and change. Uh, I also saw a lot of people saying, "Oh well, you know, school's back in session. It's school nights." And yeah, I sort of get that. Um, but it's a school night everywhere else in the country, too. And there's plenty of major league teams that aren't drawing 13,000 fans, uh, especially yeah. with a first place team. It's the weekend. So school night excuses are gone. Uh, I'd really like to see the Indians draw like 30,000 fans Friday and Saturday. Uh, Sunday, too. Uh, although, who knows? It's, you know, the Browns are probably doing something that day. So maybe that'll hurt attendance. But I don't know. I, I mostly don't care about attendance. Uh, but... I do find it depressing that two weeks left in the season, first place, a lot of exciting players, 13,000 fans is, is pretty sorry. Uh, I like the way you put that. The Browns are doing something on Sunday. <laughs> it's not playing football, but whatever the hell they're doing right now. <laughs> uh, but no, like in terms of like the White Sox, uh, you know, previewing the team, I don't know what there is to say. Uh, we miss Chris Sale again, uh, face right. a couple of other good lefties. Uh it would be nice to, to, to win two of three and kind of get rid of the taste of losing three or four to them. The Indians have already clinched a winning record against the White Sox season. In fact, the Indians have, have clinched a winning record against all four of the other AL Central teams, which they hadn't done since 2007, the last time they won the division. So they already have the season series. Uh, it'd be nice, yeah, you know, take two of three, beat up on the White Sox a little bit. The Tigers lose a couple games, clinch before that series even rolls around. And otherwise, clinch on Monday in Detroit. Yeah, the only interesting thing for me is that Cody Anderson's starting on Saturday. That's It's a bullpen day, but another one. <laughs> At this point, it doesn't matter. The Indians are going to clinch, so who cares what they do? Just don't burn all the pitchers. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we're going to return, we're going to talk with Brandon Bowers from Indians Baseball Insider, or Indians on Scout, either one. I don't remember which one they're called now, but he's going to talk to us about some injuries between Jan Gomes, Danny Salazar, Carlos Carrasco, uh, Michael Brantley. Yeah, it'll be good. Stick around. And we are back now with Brandon Bowers. Uh, he's a doctor of physical therapy, injury analyst for Indians on Scout. Uh, Brandon, thanks for joining us. Yeah, Matt, thanks for having me aboard. Uh, looking forward to talking about a few uh, tribe injuries here. It's unfortunate that we have a lot of talk, lots to talk about right now, but uh, let's get down to business. Yeah, no, we originally, we planned this for last week when we thought, hey, we'll talk about Danny Salazar and Jan Gomes. Those are surely the last two injuries we'll have until the postseason, right? And then <laughs> I think the day after we were going to do it last week, uh, of course, Carlos Carrasco got hit in the hand. So I think maybe we should start with 
we'll just get the ones that are basically have no hope out of the way first. Um, so Jan Gomes, he was about to come back from a separated shoulder. We can start with that. Um, assuming he didn't get hit in the hand, what kind of effectiveness do you think he would have if he came back? Uh, I'm assuming he'd be back by now. It's September 16th. He could have been called up. So if the Indians did call him up at that point, do you think he would have really been that big of a help in the playoffs? Or is a separated shoulder something that, even at this point, it'll still take a while for him to be completely healed? I think from what the Indians had said, he certainly could have contributed to the Indians uh, if he were to come back from that separated shoulder. I think he was slated to come back last Friday and catch Kluber, but then he had the got hit by pitch, and that kind of set him back a little bit. But I think we all know the most valuable asset of his game that he would have contributed this year is, is behind the plate and the ability to call games and kind of regulate that pitching staff. We know he wasn't doing a whole lot at the plate, but I think somebody who's got that experience behind the plate who can manage that pitching staff definitely could have been valuable for a potential playoff run. So would um, is a shoulder injury anything you think that will have? Because I mean, we saw Michael Brantley. I don't remember if his was exactly a separated shoulder, but – I'm going to be his a little worse, but is Jan Gomes going to have any lingering effects like Brantley did? Hopefully not quite as bad, but anything that will affect like his throws to second or anything like that? Um, I had the opportunity to watch him in a couple of rehab games, and he, he looked A-OK to me. So given that we're he's about to pull off season to get ready for 2017, I, I don't foresee any lingering effects going forward in the next season. And his whole injury, it was just because of the way he landed, right? It's just, I mean, initially we thought yeah, it was going to be his leg, and then he just hit the ground so awkwardly. Sure. And so a lot of times with the separated shoulder, it's an injury to that acromioclavicular or AC joint of the shoulder. A lot of times when that's injured, uh, especially in the NFL, you see quarterbacks like Jimmy Garoppolo the other night landed on his shoulders, how you injure that. So Gomes, if we look at his, it wasn't exactly from the landing. It was just kind of when his arm kind of got forced back and overextended in kind of that awkward position while he was falling. And how do they treat that? Is it just rest um, and just not overexert it while it's stretched out or anything else? Sure. So, I mean, initially, he's just going to need to rest because the pain in that AC joint is just going to make doing any sort of activities and for Jan Gomes, baseball activities, pretty pretty difficult. So, initially, there will be a period of rest. And then after that rest and when they can get the pain under control, they'll look to make sure he can uh, regain full range of motion at the shoulder, which he needs, obviously, being a catcher and make sure he's strong enough. And then once they kind of hit on all those, then you'll see him return to baseball activities like he did. So certainly something that is definitely um, for him able to come back from, but we'll see what he looks like come uh, spring. And I didn't see his injury actually happen, but apparently what I read is he got hit on the hand and was trying to bunt or something like that. And I know earlier in the season, Bradley Zimmer had the same thing happen, and he wasn't out for, I think he maybe missed the game. Is it basically just down to luck based on when the hand hits your fingers on the bat? Because it has to hurt no matter what, whether you break something or not. Right, yeah. I mean, if, if you think you got taking a 95-mile-an-hour fastball coming at you, <laughs> it's going to hurt no matter where it hits you. But unfortunately, with Gomes, the past two seasons, he's, he's got some of the worst luck that I've ever seen. I mean, last year with the with the knee, and then this year with the shoulder, and now the hand, he, he just can't seem to catch a break. Yeah, and last year, of course, it was now teammate Rajai Davis who took him out at the plate, <laughs> which was just an unfortunate right. injury. I mean, it wasn't on purpose or anything. But yeah, just a bunch of bad luck for Young Gomes. So right. I would love to see him come back next year and not have a bunch of horrible injuries or be bad at the plate, anything like that. Because like you said, right. his, I mean, but, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I mean, we've seen what he can do at the plate. I mean, he had the, he had the year a couple years ago where he was a silver slugger and he, we know he can get the job done. It's just the past couple of years, he's just been so injury-plagued that he hasn't been able to contribute like he'd probably want to. Yeah, like you said earlier, even if he's, even if his offense is just like average, what he does for the pitching staff and behind the plate and everything, that's always incredible, just having him back there, I think. Definitely. 
So the other player who's probably not going to be back, well, I think Jan Gomes is probably not going to be back. Carlos Carrasco is almost absolutely not going to be back. Um, do you want to kind of describe what we what we have there with his injury? I know when it first came out, they were kind of just dancing around the idea of calling it a broken hand. They said he, what was it, fractured the fifth metacarpal on his right hand. What exactly does that mean in like specific terms and in layman terms? I know it just means he just broke his hand, but like specifically, what did he hit and what happened? So when he, when he took that pitch off the hand, uh, that fifth metal carpal, like you said, is what en- ended up being broken. And that bone, uh, some people were saying it's the pinky, but it, it's not the pinky. It's the bone kind of that's below your pinky right down before you get to your wrist. Um, so anytime you have an injury to your hand, especially for a baseball player, it's going to affect your ability to grip the ball, uh, to throw the ball that you would lo- as you would like. And so especially for Carrasco being a pitcher, he's not going to be able to grip that baseball uh, for the different pitch grips that he needs to, to be effective. And so um, there's going to be a period of bone healing that's, that's going to have to take place that can take anywhere from six to eight weeks. And so um, the thing that you risk, if they were to try and bring him back right now, uh, he, could, he could probably still throw. It would hurt, but he could throw. But what you'd run into is him altering his pitching mechanics or altering the way he grips the ball that could run him into other issues down the line that the Indians probably don't want to deal with. So if we were, say, like... I mean, obviously today he's not going to pitch because of the way it happened. Um, but like if, say, we were in the quote-unquote olden days where they pitched through injuries and all that, is this something they would have just sent him out there again for? Or is there just absolutely no way he can pitch after doing that? Um, I mean, I obviously wasn't around for the olden days. <laughs> but, I, I mean, I know they, they gritted it out and got through injuries. So, I mean, back in the olden times, I don't, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't have trotted people <laughs> back out there just because they didn't have the modern medicine that we – do now and they didn't have kind of the knowledge about how to go about treating certain injuries and like i said he could throw probably throw a baseball but i don't see him at any way being effective at doing so yeah and when it first happened i kind of had maybe a little hope that he could be hit in the hand and be okay i guess the best case scenario is just a conclusion in his hand that could have happened instead of yeah. just straight up breaking the bone but yeah. that was all bad luck i think too Right. I mean, we really just can't seem to catch a break as of late. It just seems every time we turn around, somebody else is going down with an injury. So our final injured player, the one who maybe could be back, uh, is Danny Salazar. We'll start from kind of the beginning, I guess. So uh, mid-July, he had, oh, I should have wrote this down, it was either shoulder or elbow fatigue, something that kept him out of the All-Star game. And then it just kept lingering and lingering. He had a really bad month of August. He was He was really good sometimes in September. And then he, what was the new one that he had? I'm pretty sure that was another elbow injury. Yeah. Uh, either way, yeah, he's going to be gone now. Um, probably not going to be in the starting rotation. What do you think it was? Do you think they're just telling the truth that it was just some kind of some fatigue in their shoulder? Do they really not know what's causing it? Um, so I, I, I certainly think fatigue could have been the issue. Um, but really, with Danny Salazar, we obviously know he's he when he was younger in his younger years, he had a previous Tommy John surgery. So that was a surgery to repair the ulnar collateral ligament in his pitching elbow. And then he's kind of had some elbow and forearm issues in the past too. So that can all be related to um, his pitching mechanics and something not being quite exactly right. Um, I think the Indians are doing a good job right now just to try and, and sit him out for a little bit, really to kind of figure out what exactly is going on. But I think the, the fatigue, like they mentioned initially, was probably an accurate diagnosis. And I know you don't have, obviously, like any access to what the Indians are actually doing or the very detailed information about Salazar, which I guess we should always mention. We're just speculating outside. But just based on what you know, what you've seen, have they done a good enough job keeping him out long enough? I know Jason Lucart, um, he wanted the Indians just to leave him out until the playoffs. Would that have really made a difference, you think? Or was it worth it just to bring uh, it back and try? 
I think they're taking the right steps, and I, we kind of hit on this over on Indians on Scout. The the things that you have to look for here is, is you got two things that you got to keep in mind. Number one, you've got to realize that the Indians are in a position uh, to make potentially a deep playoff run that they're not in very often, and so you've got that side of things. And the other the other side, you got to consider the general overall health and the long term future of a young pitcher in your starting rotation who has shown like he did the first half of this year that he can be one of the most dominant pitchers in this league. And so I think they're taking all the right steps here, certainly by not plugging him back into the starting rotation. Uh, I think that's a good move. And then the possibility of him coming out of the bullpen, the Indians could catch lightning in a a bottle and have an effect of Danny Salazar out of the pen. What it's all really going to come down to is how he's feeling. As long as he's not experiencing any kind of pain or soreness or fatigue like he has been in the past, I don't see any reason why he can't be used out of the bullpen. Do you think it's probably better to use him out of the bullpen instead of having him be always ready for a start with his elbow? Like you don't want to stress it out for a whole start? Does not really make a difference in the end? uh, I I think it's it's smart just to kind of go for the bullpen option at this point. I, I think Terry Francona, after... They brought him back after his last stint on the DL, and D- Salazar didn't get a rehab start. They kind of threw him right in at the big league level, and he ended up with this forearm strain that he's dealing with right now. So if you think about it, all of the minor league seasons have wrapped up, and there's really no place for him to go to get live game action and go into uh, a rehab start where we could simulate a longer kind of timeout on the mound. So I think a more realistic option, kind of how we've hit on, is coming – out of the bullpen for an inning or two and seeing what he can do from that point. And if, if he's effective, great. If not, then it may be a case of them shutting him down even for the playoffs. You mentioned when they brought him up, um, like, so they just threw him straight back into a game. I think it was that very first game back. Uh, he threw like maybe an inning and a half and then went to the bullpen, which is really weird in a regular season. You usually see that in like spring training, but is, was that just to keep his arm fresh after pitching or what do you think that was about? I think that's an accurate statement. Um, He probably didn't last as long into that game and throw as many pitches as they would have liked him to. So I think just toss him out in the bullpen. I remember watching that game myself. I thought it was a a little interesting. But just for him to get the number of pitches they want him to throw that day and just to kind of go along with um, the rehab process and make sure that he was feeling good, I think they just tossed him out there just to get a couple more tosses in since he had an early exit from that ball game. So, um, So, again, we don't know obviously what the Indians know or anything like that, but Michael Brantley, I mean, the Indians have done, we can say pretty okay without him. They're the second best offense in the league, but it obviously would have been much better with him. Um, he was, he was out last year, his own shoulder injury while diving in Minnesota against the Minnesota twins. So what's your general opinion of where you think he probably is right now? Um, with the recent, ah, recent surgery that he had, what exactly were they repairing? Um, and when can we expect him back? Probably you think. So the, the surgery that he had most, recently was to address something we call chronic biceps tendonitis and what that refers to is is the biceps tendon um was a little irritated and inflamed um that tendon actually inserts into the labrum which is what he had as an initial surgery for it could have been related but it's kind of hard to tell but the surgery that he most recently had is called a biceps tenodesis and that was for the biceps tendon and what they do with that is they go in and they actually physically cut out the portion of the tendon in that biceps that is the the kind of the problematic piece and that's causing the irritation and the pain. So they remove that altogether and then they attach the remaining part of the bicep and that bicep tendon uh, not into the shoulder so it no longer is attached to the labrum. So um, as far as next year, um, we'll see how Brantley looks. Everybody's going to respond differently to injuries. So Provided he puts in all the work this offseason, which I'm sure he will, 
Um, we'll just have to see how he comes spring training and see how he looks and how he feels. There's really no way to get a definite gauge on uh, how effective he'll be coming next season. You mentioned, um, if they don't know for sure, it's connected to the original injury. I mean, we all just kind of lump it in together that he was injured last year with a shoulder and he's still injured from it. But was it a completely separate thing or did it maybe get brought on by the fact that his shoulder injury was making him like maybe use his arm differently and stress different parts of it? Or So the injury is really related at all or it's just a freak coincidence they happen back to back, you think? Um, th- there's certainly a possibility that they could have been related, but it's going to be difficult to say. Um, the good news is when the doctors had gone back in to break up the scar tissue and then go in for that biceps tenodesis procedure that I mentioned, the good news is is they, they checked out that labrum that he tore last year and had surgically repaired, and the labrum was completely healthy and intact. So that would almost lead me to believe that uh, the two weren't related, but due to their proximity in the shoulder joint and how the biceps tendon does connect to the labrum, it, it wouldn't surprise me if there were may have been some sort of altered mechanics that may have led to the biceps becoming a problem. That makes sense. Yeah, I think, we, like I said, we just kind of lump it together. It's interesting. I never really thought of the fact that they're separate injuries, so that's really neat. Um, yeah. So this one's kind of out of nowhere, but we've got a question. Um, I don't know if you normally listen to our podcast, but we answer like Twitter questions. One of sure. them, as a doctor, I figure you can answer. Um, Pinstripe Alley, it's our like the, the Yankees version of Let's Go Tribe. They want to know, okay. can Andrew, H- Andrew Miller's hugs cure cancer? <laughs> um, I'm, I mean, I <laughs> would have. love Andrew Miller if you couldn't tell. Yeah, you know, Andrew Miller's a great guy, and I'm super excited that the Indians got him. I think it was a great move. Uh, he's definitely been a valuable asset to the bullpen. Um, I, I don't know if they could cure cancer, but I mean, there's only one way to find out. I mean, give him a hug and see how you feel after that. And, uh, we'll see. I'm guessing all his power comes from his beard. So the longer he gets that, I think his hugs will be yeah. more powerful. <laughs> right. Especially since he wasn't able to grow that in New York kids and shape since he got to Cleveland. And, uh, I think he's loving that. Oh, I know he's growing that in real well. I mean, I completely forgot that he had the long beard in Boston. I looked it up when he got here. That thing's going to be a monster by next year. I think. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> So, uh, once again, Brandon, thank you for joining us. That was great. Yeah, Matt, I, uh, I appreciate you having me on. And if you guys ever need any more injury insight in the future, just give me a call. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at blbowers12. I'd be happy to answer anybody's Indians injury questions or um, looking to expand to the Browns and the Cavs as well. So, uh, follow me on Twitter, and uh, we'll do it again sometime soon. Thank you again, Brandon. And we'll be back with more Twitter questions. And we're back. Thank you again, Brandon, for joining us. Uh, lots of great information that, like I said in the interview, I wouldn't have ever thought of. <laughs> a lot of really neat stuff. Um, so thanks again, Brandon. We'll have him on basically anytime there's a major injury to talk about. We have quite a few now, unfortunately. So hopefully we won't talk to him too much just because I don't think he needs to be injured. But um, our last thing of the day, we're going to do some social media questions as usual. Uh, I ask on Twitter and Facebook every Thursday. You can always find us and Throw questions at us. Weird questions, weird questions, baseball questions, pizza questions. I don't care. We'll answer just about anything, depending on how long our episode goes. <laughs> Today, it's all baseball questions. What? No mango yeah. pizza questions? I know. Uh-huh. Not a single one. I named the last episode after a weird question, and nobody threw out a weird one this week. Well, the first one's kind of weird, so people are slacking, I tell you. Must be because they know the Indians don't have a chance in the playoffs. They're just all depressed. <laughs> <laughs> so, Matt Schlichting, you know that guy. Uh, he wants to know... If Lindor started at center for the Cavs, why would he be a lock for the MVP at the All-Star break? Because it's Francisco Lindor, that's why. <laughs> I'm not sure this counts as a baseball question. It has uh, a baseball player in it. 
All right. So if he, if he started at center, why would he be? What's he say again when he's winning? Uh, MVP by the All Star break. <laughs> uh, um. Well, the Cavs would be really good, and they wouldn't want to give LeBron MVP because they feel like he's won it a bunch, even though he hasn't won it for a while. And they'd be amazed at what strong defense someone of his short height was playing at center. I, I feel like his defense is, of course, what's going to carry him. And at center, his defense would look especially impressive because of the height disadvantage. You still think he's going to block all those seven-foot centers? Well, yeah. I mean, Does he's a great defensive player. So in basketball, yeah. I mean, I guess he's probably going to – a lot of loose balls, a lot of, a lot of you know, stripping guys in the paint. And uh, But, yeah, he's going to go up there and get some block shots. He's got good timing on his jumps. So I think he'll, he'll, he'll time your uh, – I can't think of any active NBA centers right now. I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about, like, Hakeem Olajuwon and stuff right now. <laughs> Um, the I feel like, frankly, Hakeem Olajuwon would be a pretty good comparison for Francisco Lindor as, as a basketball player. Olajuwon, you said? Yeah, I think he'd yeah. be be his generation's Hakeem. But but don't even think about it, Lindor. You're not doing that. You're staying on the Indians. <laughs> if he listens to this podcast, I know he listens to this podcast because, of course, he does. But if he listens and then decides to go play for the Cavs, we're going to fire Matt. He's no longer allowed to write for us for giving Lindor that idea. <laughs> that was a bad suggestion, Matt. How dare you? <laughs> so the next question is from David from the 216 on Twitter. He wants to know, why do people blame Brian Shaw for everything but hardly ever blame Miller and Allen? And I think the answer to this one is simple, that Brian Shaw blows things more often than Allen or Shaw Miller do. Um, for as good as Brian Shaw has been for a long stretch of time, you can't argue that he wasn't really bad for a month or two at a point there. And Miller and Cody Allen are rarely terrible for more than consecutive games. But if you do look, every time Miller and Allen do something bad, people jump all over him for no reason. But everybody's overreacting to baseball, I think, and there's more times to overreact to Brian Shaw than other people. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's true. I do also think, uh, I mean, I think his his blowouts or blowups or whatever you want to call them uh, draw a lot of attention. I think this year, having a couple so early in the year, you know, that was sort of like his first impression of this season. So there was a sense that like he sort of finished as a good reliever. And then because relievers pitch so infrequently, uh, or, you know, not so, not, sorry, they pitch more frequently, but fewer innings. It takes a lot longer to, you know, kind of undo the damage of those bad starts. So his ERA and stuff like that continued to look bad for a really long time. Um, so he he's had a few more bad games. When you look at his overall stat line, I mean, Miller's on a different level. Uh, but Sean Allen's, you know, ERA and stuff like that, they aren't actually that far apart. Allen's been better. I trust Allen more. Um not Alan Moore, creator of The Watchmen and other <laughs> graphic novels. <laughs> um, I just sidetracked myself with that. Uh, but no, I mean, Shaw at this point, his ERA is 305 uh, after tonight. Um, I was actually going to write about him, you know, for, for maybe even tomorrow. I sort of want to wait till the end of the season just so the Lucard effect doesn't torpedo him. But uh, I, he's he's been pretty much as good this year as he was the last three years. It's just the shape of it's been different because he started badly and it, people haven't noticed. But if you eliminate the first 10 days of the season or so, he probably his ERA might even be lower than Allen's. I don't know. So I don't know. I, I think Shaw is just something – there is a, a slight difference in you know actual pitching ability. Uh, but I think there is also just something you can't quite put your finger on that makes people jump on him. 
I don't know. Maybe he doesn't he doesn't look as imposing on the mound, so maybe it's that. Could Cody be. Allen looks like like a you know a good relief pitcher, and Andrew Miller uh, now the is free of the the tyranny of of the Bronx. He looks you know like a big burly relief pitcher, and it is is awesome. I think what we're saying is Brian Shaw needs a beard. Yeah, I think he could use a beard. <laughs> I think he should try that. Although we're talking about beards, I'm not a fan of Corey Kluber's right now. It's it's getting a little weird. It's just the shape. I don't. Is it natural or is he like trimming it so it's all at the bottom? It's just weird. Yeah, I feel like there's some trimming going on. You're right. It doesn't look quite like just like a I just stopped shaving beard. Yeah, well, Andrew but, Miller's does. Holy know, cow! Corey Cooper can can pitch with whatever facial hair he wants. I'm not going to question him. <laughs> okay, so uh, speaking of Miller a little bit, uh, Jamie Bertoletti on Facebook wants to know. I had to butcher that name, Bertoletti. No, maybe I got it. I don't know. She wants to know. Uh, will they use Andrew Miller as a starter? If you didn't know, uh, Matt Schlifting posted a really interesting way the Indians could use their pitchers in the postseason. There's no way they'll do it, um, I guess, to jump on the question of the answer. But they basically said you could use their relievers as openers uh, just to get over the – to basically eliminate the advantage of pitching through the order so many times. The batting, line, the batting lineup gets better against the pitcher as they go. So you basically use like Andrew Miller for an inning or two to start the game and then you use your actual starter for five or so innings in the middle – and then you have another reliever act as a closer. It just opens a lot more things up, especially for a rotation like the Indians, which is so beat up right now. It's a really, I love the theory. There's no way they're going to do it. <laughs> it's a little too out there even for the Indians and Terry Francona right now. But, but yeah, I, I think it's a cool idea. I don't think they'll do it. You think there's any way they use Miller as a starter? No, they're not going to use him as a starter. Um, I, I thought it was a really interesting article that I never had time to like bat around in my head long enough to really form any strong opinions about. Um, I, I felt like more so in the comments, uh, than the actual article, there was a lot of talk about like the importance of scoring first because teams that score first usually win, but I feel like that's like a misguided, like, yeah, teams that score first usually win because teams that score first have the lead and teams that have the lead usually win like teams that <laughs> score second, teams that score second, but score more than the team that scored first also usually win like teams that are leading at some point in the game have a better record than teams that don't lead i mean i don't know like i it felt like a little and to the extent that having an early lead does help you win i feel like in large part it's because when you have a lead like that and the game is close you're more likely to use your best relief pitchers and increase your chances of holding on to that lead whereas you know, you're you're slightly more likely to take the early lead if you have Miller pitch the first two innings because it's less likely the other team will score. But you're less likely to hold your lead because now Andrew Miller's not available to come into later. I don't know. I, I felt like it was an interesting theory, but it sort of just felt like rearranging furniture. And I didn't I wasn't totally convinced it would actually make like a significant change if you were to run a semi. I would it'd be fascinating. Like we should try see if we can get uh you know, like Dan Zimborski or someone like that. It would be really interesting to say, like, hey, can you run a simulation with this and to see what the results actually look like? Um, and I have no idea how much we'd have to, how much beer we'd have to buy him for him running something like that. The other <laughs> tricky thing about this is other people, that was the other thing, people in the comments were like, oh, if the Indians did it and it worked, every team would do this during the season next year. No, they wouldn't. To the extent that Matt's plan was even possible, and I'm sure Matt would say this himself. He might have even said this in the article. I don't remember. 
to the extent that it could work, it could only work in the postseason when you basically play two games, then get a day off. You can't do it when you're playing, you know, 15 games in a row, um, you know, because it's all predicated on your relievers can get more rest. In you know, Andrew Miller and Cody Allen can't pitch one or two innings every other game. Um, they can do that for a week when they're, you know, getting days off too. Um, but it's a completely unworkable system for the regular season, which is I, not what Matt was talking about, but a lot of people in the comments were, you know, um, so for a simulation, a regular season simulation wouldn't tell us anything worth knowing. Uh, and I have no idea how a simulation of the postseason would look. It'd be, I'd be interested to see. Yeah, it'd be really cool. It's not going to happen. <laughs> That's basically where I'm at. Um, so next question is Mike Speziali on Facebook. Um, not really a question. He would just like to state, get rid of Perez. First of all, it's not a question. Second of all, who do you think you are? <laughs> how dare you? Third of all. Fourth of all. No. Fifth of all, how dare you? <laughs> No, they're not going to get rid of Perez. Go away. You, uh, I was, that was a close call. You came one of all away from tying my personal record. When I was in college, <laughs> I was walking down the street past like a group of people and a very animated looking speaker as I walk out <laughs> and sixth of all, he didn't even, man, this guy is quite a rant when you've gotten up to sixth of all. <laughs> Should have went for it. I didn't know. <laughs> The, this question deserved it, though. All five. No, I, I mean, when when did this when did this comment come in? I mean, this was this week, right? Oh yeah, it was like an hour ago. See, that's like a and this kind of goes back to the Brian Shaw thing of like when you start off poorly, and Roberto Perez started off way worse than Shaw for way longer. But similarly, he started off so badly that his numbers you it, it, it takes a long time to recover from numbers as poor as Perez's were for the first you know 40 or so games he played but again last month here's Roberto Perez's batting line for the last 30 days 274 batting average 324 on base percentage 452 slugging percentage terrible he's, he's been a good hitter in addition to being at this point I would say as good or better a defensive catcher than Jan Gomes Cut so, him. no, Roberto Perez shouldn't go, not only because there's not a better alternative. He's legitimately turned things around. And, you you know, you can say, well, a month isn't a very large sample. But, again, he was never really as bad as his batting line was. And I don't think he's as good as the numbers I just quoted for the last month. But on the whole, he's a below-average hitter and a really good defensive catcher. Uh, he's He's back to not being a problem at all. And Chris Jimenez has actually been really good the last month, too, although he hasn't had to play as much because Perez has been better. But Jimenez the last month, which this is only 22 plate appearances, but, but his slugging percentage is 529. His OPS is almost 1,000. So the catchers have actually been really good for the last month. If, other than Carlos Santana, uh, you know, catchers have like the best collective offensive output for the last month. I guess probably Jose Ramirez. It's probably Santana, Ramirez, and then the the catchers. Yeah. I'd like to go back. He said Roberto Perez is a below average hitter. First of all, Jason, who do you think you are? <laughs> no, I think he could be almost that line. Maybe a little less power. But... What? It only counts if you can get to sixth of all without repeating. You can't just fall back on second of all for your fifth of all. No, I think that line's pretty accurate to what I think he would be. Maybe a little bit lower average. and He's going to draw a ton of walks. 
and he hits some home runs. So his slugging would be lower. He's at 452 slugging percentage is, is over yeah. his head. He's not going to maintain. But again, he's he's not the terrible hitter he looked like for a while. Right. Uh, he's, I think, a below average hitter uh, and a well above average defensive player who is completely viable as a major league starter. Well, when he's picking people for his Hall of Fame introduction speech, I hope he picks me over you because <laughs> <Zoff is. laughs> so our, <laughs> our last question comes from Aaron Hedges on Twitter or on Facebook. He wants to know why does Tito keep pulling or putting the button on when we already have a runner in scoring position and no outs? Um, have you ever seen that little a little emoji guy that shrugs? That's what I'm doing yes. right now. I have no idea. I don't, it's stupid. It was the other night. It was okay. Cause it was like extra innings. They needed to run fine, but whatever. Like in the second inning, when you have a two run lead. No, I hate it so much. I hate it. Jason. Yeah. What's interesting. I mean, Francona has the Indians have bunted a lot less this year than they have the first oh, last year was just awful. They do seem to be bunting more lately. Um, but yeah, most of the bunts are in situations that don't drive me nuts. Not all of them, but most of them. Most of them don't drive you nuts? Right. Ugh, I hate all of them. There's been very few where I've been, okay, I can see why they're doing that. I just don't get it. Why, If you're already on second base, I also don't like Rajai Davis stealing third all that much. I mean, he he's successful at it, so sure. But that's just a dumb steal. It's a dumb bunt. You're on second already. Just let him hit and try to get in. I don't know. But yeah, the, the answer to the question, I don't know. We don't know why Terry Francona does it. I guess it's just the old school thing yeah, to get him over. You're right. That was the actual question. It was, why is he doing it? <laughs> I don't know the answer. Yeah, I don't know. I do wonder how many of those are the players doing it. He said last year, mostly, it was Frankie doing it on his own, which he's stopped this year, luckily. But I don't know. I hope they don't do it anymore. So those are all our questions. Um, anything else new for you coming up? No. Just trying to uh, enjoy as much baseball as possible the rest of the season. I, uh watching the Indians and then flipping over later at night if I'm still watching TV to watch the Dodgers and hear Vin Scully while he's down to his last 10 or 11 games now. But, uh, yeah, I feel like almost, almost certainly when we talk a week from now, we'll be able to talk about the official 2016 American League Central champions. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Yeah, so that's pretty much all we have. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Don't forget to listen next week and subscribe everywhere and all that good stuff. See you around.